Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 70 is entitled The Stories of the New Testament, Matthew Chapter 7, The Sermon on the Mount, Part 6, The Golden Rule. We offer a weekly podcast, Monday through Friday. Each Friday, we discuss the New Testament, King James Version. We are now in Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The final chapter contains the following concepts. 1. Judging others. 2. Prayer. 3. The Golden Rule. 4. The Straight and Narrow Path. 5. False Prophets. In previous podcasts, we discussed judging others in prayer. In this podcast, we shall analyze Matthew 7.12, The Golden Rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Most religions have the equivalent of the golden rule. Christians draw their authority from the Sermon on the Mount. The law and the prophets refer to the Hebrew Scriptures. Therefore, the golden rule is an ancient teaching to the children of Abraham. The Sermon on the Mount is revolutionary. However, as with the Ten Commandments, Jesus is reaffirming the eternal commandments taken from the law and the prophets such as the Golden Rule. The concept of the Golden Rule is also taught in what James calls the Royal Law. If ye fulfill the Royal Law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. The royal law is as follows. Matthew 22, 37-40 Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Notice how parallel the royal law is with the golden rule. Love thy neighbor as thyself, and all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Notice that both the royal law and the golden rule are confirmed by all the law and the prophets. Inherent in the golden rule and the royal law is that concept that we must love ourselves. Self-love, of course, is a double-edged sword. For certainly, selfishness is destructive, as the scriptures often remind us. Paul, for example, reminds us that charity seeketh not her own. What is charity? The virtue Paul places above faith and hope, he said, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Synonyms for charity are kind, benevolent, beneficent, merciful, compassionate, unselfishness, altruistic, self-sacrifice, love of mankind, Christian love, agape. Agape, according to Wikipedia, is the highest form of love. 
charity, and the love of God for man and of man for God. The Holy Bible is rich in teachings of agape, also known as charity, also known as the pure love of Christ. Think of the golden rule in the royal law as Linda reads the following verses. 1. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Deuteronomy 6, 5. 2. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31, 3. 3. Love your enemies. Matthew 5, 44. 4. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John 3, 16. 6. If ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. 7. In him verily is the love of God perfected. 1 John 2, 5. When considering the royal law, we have three laws of love. Number 1. Love the Lord. Number 2. Love thy neighbor. Number 3. Love thyself. In the golden rule, we have the added law of love. Number 4. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Loving oneself is the only model for loving our neighbor. We cannot love our neighbor unless we first love ourselves. There's a distinction between loving God and loving ourselves and our neighbor. God is nonpareil. The royal law defines that distinction. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. We must ask, what is the distinction among the heart, the soul, and the mind? Universally, the heart is the symbol of love. As an organ of the body, the heart pumps blood throughout the body, giving life. We speak of broken hearts, heartache, heart felt, and of course it has its derogatory side. We may call someone a bleeding heart, meaning they are too sentimental. Chicken-hearted, meaning they are cowards. Stony-hearted, meaning they have no empathy or compassion. Dr. Desmond Sheridan, in an article, The Heart, a Constant and Universal Symbol, wrote, The Oxford English Dictionary has an entry of 1,500 words for the word heart, most of which relates to its use as a metaphor for emotional states, reasoning, and other meanings, such as the center of places and things, or the center point in an argument. Therefore, when the Savior said we must love the Lord with all our hearts, he is referring to total commitment, even more than we love ourselves or our neighbor. Translating that into action, it means to give our all. Some, of course, have even sacrificed their lives, their fortune, their time in demonstrating their love for the Lord. But the Lord said we must also love him with all our soul. The soul is comprised of two things, the immortal spirit and the physical body. That means there is a spiritual love and a temporal love. Spiritual love requires that we have both the spirit of Christ and the spirit of the Holy Ghost. They are two separate spirits. In Philippians 1, we read, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. In Galatians 4, we read, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And in Romans 8, we read, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. We must assume, then, that the Spirit of Christ is with us from birth. His role is unique, as the scriptures of the Holy Bible attest. Lord is my light, Psalms 27.1. Arise, shine, for the light is come, Isaiah 61. Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light. Isaiah sixty nineteen, Life was the light of men. John 1, 4. I am the light of the world. John 8, 12. Walk while ye have the light. John 12, 35. Ye are all the children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. Cometh down from the Father of lights. James 1, 17. God is light, 1 John 1, 5. Lamb is the light thereof, Revelation twenty one twenty three. As we examine those scriptures above, we discover several things. For example, let's explore John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. We learn that Christ was in the beginning with God, the Father. Christ created all things. Only in Christ is the life of man and the light of man. Whether one accepts Christ or not does not change the fact that one owes his or her life to Christ. We owe our mortal life to Christ, as do all living things on our planet. We also owe our knowledge of Christ. Light used above refers to knowledge or enlightening. When Christ said, The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not, he means that even though we all have the light to varying degrees, some don't comprehend it. They don't know Christ. They don't know the Creator. Science demonstrates this by claiming that all creation, even our life, all happened by accident. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What does it mean to have the light of life? It means you will have comprehension, understanding, knowledge, and truth about Christ. Review what Christ said as quoted above. I am the light of the world. God is light. The Lamb is the light thereof. When the scriptures speak of the Spirit of Christ, it is not always clear if they are speaking of Christ or the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost bears testimony of Christ. Christ, however, is the light and life of the world. 
to have the Spirit of Christ is to have that life. Isaiah tells us, the Lord shall be unto us an everlasting light. Other references to that are everlasting life and eternal life. John 3.16 tells that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John also tells us, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The second spirit is the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2 we read, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Savior said to his disciples, John sixteen seven through 14 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Holy Ghost plays a tremendous role in our lives. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Luke one thirty five. Holy Ghost was not yet given. John 7.39 Receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come. Acts 1.8 Prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Acts 8. 15. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. Acts 10.38. Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Acts 19.2. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Communion of the Holy Ghost be with you. 2 Corinthians 13.14. Partakers of the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 6, 4, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, 1 Peter 1, 12. In John 14, we read the following words of Christ, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And Jesus added, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When God said that we must love him with all our soul, he meant love him both spiritually and temporally, or with both the body and the spirit. To worship him in spirit, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
That means that we must have both the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. John four twenty three through 24 But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Those who don't are condemned. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. We have discussed how to love the Lord with all our heart and all our soul. How do we love him with all our mind? We sometimes overlook the importance of the mind when thinking of the royal law and the golden rule. So many today advise, follow your heart. Well, following the heart without the mind has led many to grief. Cupid is blind for a reason. We must have our eyes open. Christ said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Knowledge is the key. We should never discount the mind, which is the seed of reason, of logic, of law, of intelligence, of common sense. God is not arbitrary and irrational. God is a God of law and order. He does everything by law. We have temporal laws and we have spiritual laws. The more we understand temporal laws, the more we enjoy the blessings of this world. We need science. We need to understand temporal law. The same is true with spiritual law. All commandments are laws. The Beatitudes are laws with a promise. Both temporal blessings and spiritual blessings are based on the principle of causality. They have both a cause and an effect. To receive a blessing, we must first obey the law that promises us that blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Those are laws based on cause and effect in the same way that gravity is a law. Laws are predictable. Remember the law of tithing spoken of by Malachi. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. The Lord said, Prove me now herewith. In other words, he is inviting us to apply the scientific method to spiritual laws as well as to temporal laws. With temporal things, so with spiritual things. The effect does not occur or the blessings do not come unless we obey the connected law. To love the Lord with all our mind means to search out his laws and to obey them. If you love me, keep my commandments.
Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.